Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. I'm Gary Cook and you're listening to Trailblazers. Now, once upon a time, we lived in a world where only some things were possible, how things have changed. For instance, did you know that the man who captained the England cricket team to the 2019 World Cup was Irish? And that a host of young Irish talent have taken the professional game in England by storm. It wasn't always like this. And my guest today, Peter O'Reilly was one of the first to go. You could call him a trailblazer. You're very welcome, Peter. Thank you very much, Kerry. So, Peter, most Irish kids, when we were growing up in the 1970s, uh, barely even knew what uh, what cricket was, that it existed. Uh, how did you come into contact with this great game? Yeah, it was a bit like a cult, wasn't it? Um, it was through my dad, who uh, was a non-cricketer, but... Um, was a bit like folks of our generation um, uh, or people of our folks' generation who was into self-improvement. So he uh, he uh, wanted to learn about classical music, so he read a guy called Neville Cardis uh, in the Manchester Guardian, as it was called then. This would have been 1940s, 1950s. And through reading Neville Cardis on classical music, he got to read about cricket also, because ne- Neville Cardis is a very famous cricket writer. Um he also sent myself and my brother to a cricket playing school, Belvedere College. But most importantly of all, uh, 1973, we're on family holiday in Surrey. Uh, he drops us off one day at Lords to watch a test match, England versus the West Indies. Um, we, myself and Brendan, my brother, we spent a day at Lords, and that was it. We were hooked. Uh, certainly, I was hooked anyway. Just by as much by. The atmosphere, um, the colours, the noise, the, the West Indian fans, plus the fact that England were getting a good shoeing on the pitch. Um, so um, I think it was the following September, went, to, went back into Belvedere and discovered that cricket was being played in the school and it went from there. So your introduction to cricket was literally at Lord's, was at the Mecca, the home of cricket? Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it was... Um, uh, it couldn't really have got, got any better than that. I mean, to think that Ireland are playing a, a test match there this coming June uh, is phenomenal because it, it was a very distant dream. It wasn't really a dream back in 1973. So it's 50, we're talking 50 years ago. Um, back then, uh, cricket was played by a small number of countries and... And the idea of the West Indies beating England at cricket was still a little bit of a. It was like the uh, the, the colonised beating the the you know, the coloniser almost. It was. Uh, it still felt like it was England's game. Uh, it belonged to them, and this was the home of cricket. Um, but uh, Brendan and I were sitting in the middle of the West Indian fans when they discovered. I remember they were drinking cans of Guinness for some reason, but. Uh, when they discovered that we were Irish, they sort of they 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 took us to themselves, and we celebrated uh, when when uh, Jeffrey Boycott was out. I remember towards the end of the day, and just the fact that it was a it was this very kind of austere uh, Victorian setting, and you had you had these uh, West Indian guys 
with um, with their Guinness cans with uh, pebbles inside them and they were making their own reggae music um, sunshine grass everything about it was intoxicating um, and of course there were in the days when you could get right down to literally the boundary and you could run on at the pitch if you wanted yeah uh, I don't remember if there was a pitch invasion I was only nine at the time but I, I remember the proximity of everything <clears throat> but it's amazing how you, how your memory works. The, the actual the, the whites, the creams that were being worn by the the fielders were so so cream or so white against the the grass that was so green against the the brick of, of the pavilion at Lords, which was so red. The whole thing it was it was just a, a beautiful scene and uh, and the game, the rhythm of the game, the time that it took, it was just something that that appealed to me and it it appeals to all cricket lovers and it's something that you either get or you don't get as you know yourself sure I would agree with that now just to put it into context uh, Peter not only was a professional he played for Warwickshire he also played cricket uh, for Ireland and played uh, quite young but we'll get to that uh, in a little while uh, Peter so you went back to uh, your school Bel- Belvedere mm-hmm. uh, and you discovered that they played cricket uh, and there was a big Belvedere fraternity of, of cricket people weren't there um, in your school at that time of, of both players and coaches yeah people well, who played the game at a high level yeah um, I remember um, in the school refectory um, well I suppose the first guy that should be mentioned is Robin Waters um, who was I mean we were very fortunate that we had somebody who was basically employed by the school to to teach us cricket I mean Robin for a while was games master and he he um he helped organise a soccer team in the school, which was frowned upon by some of the Jesuits who were more rugby men. Um, but it was the same in my school as well. <laughs> Football was verboten as a winter game. Um, so yeah, well, rugby was definitely number one winter sport, um, and cricket was something that, um, as I said, we had somebody in the staff, and you, you know the way it works in in schools. It's usually the enthusiasm of one of one or two staff members that that drives a sport in a school. So we had Robin. Uh, so even during um, even during Christmas holidays, the, the, you might be you might have been able to go into the gym and we'd play indoor cricket. Uh, um, so we had that, and also we had um, we had the fact that only f- say only four years before that that Lord's experience. Ireland had played against the same West Indian t- side, more or less, and had had a freak victory up in Sion Mills uh, in County Tyrone. Um, and the, one of the heroes of that win was a, was a Belvedereian, Alec O'Reardon, mm. who was still playing cricket in Old Belvedere at that stage and who I would subsequently get to play alongside. So, you know, that, that, that took a bit of computing mentally, you know, that this West Indian side that we'd seen beat England at Lord's they played against Ireland. They played against somebody whose son was a couple of years below me in the school. So everything was actually within touching distance. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie? Doro, make friends with innovation. Yeah, it sounds like that the stars are kind of aligning at a at a very young age, because I know Belvedere was quite an, uh, an intimidating place to go uh, cricket-wise. It's, 
I know because I played against you, but uh, you also had good facilities. I mean, you had nets, indoor nets, you know, in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty lords. Yeah, we were, at the, at the time, they were probably the only indoor nets in the, in the country, from what I remember. Um, but I think also um, there was something about, about Robin, the fact that he was a former professional cricketer. He had played for Sussex. He played for uh, Oxford University, I think. He played a bit of rugby. He played a bit of cricket in India. He played Ranji Trophy in, in India because he had a family connection to that country. He was a kind of an exotic character. And I remember uh, that he loved talking cricket. So the, the odd time that we would play indoor matches in the gym and then to mix things up, he'd have a cricket quiz. Um, and... Uh, I always fancied my cricket knowledge ahead of most of my contemporaries. So I was mad keen about the quiz as I was about the indoor games. Uh, and I remember being given a, you know, for Christmas presents, being given cricket books, devouring them, uh, getting Robin to autograph them, that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was definitely a passion. And the one thing I remember about playing cricket at that time was it was, you know, culturally uh, fish out of water stuff because in fact I remember rocking up to your school in <laughs> in cricket whites and then waiting in the middle of Denmark Street for my mother to arrive uh, in my cricket whites and uh, people just didn't know what you were kind of doing or what was going on uh, did you uh, receive uh, much cultural hostility for your predilections um not that I remember I mean I do remember being uh very self-conscious on buses mainly because the size of your your cricket bag or if you had a cricket bat and you you did get the odd glance you know you got the odd look and um and I, like ed joyce who you know who's somebody who's a half a generation younger um and who went and played cricket in england subsequently he talked about getting getting the dart in from bray to play in Merion, you know, so get, getting off the, the dart at, in Sandy Mount and that he had to put up with a little bit of grief. But I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't exaggerate that. I was just aware of the fact that the cricket was a very small community where everybody knew everybody. Um, uh, and then it was only really later in life that I discovered all these closet cricket fans who had been around in the 1960s and 70s and 80s and who would watch test cricket behind kind of closed curtains during the summer holidays and I never told anybody because they were afraid that they were going to get the same sort of um, reaction that you're talking about. But I, I certainly never, you know, I never got my bat taken from me or I was never hit over the head with it or anything like that. Just the odd sort of curious glance yeah i think a lot of people didn't even have a, have a clue what it actually was that it was, it was it's almost like if you it's a cricket and people go well okay yeah. uh, and uh french cricket is about the only thing i remember there was a lad you're talking about the heads who are closet sort of uh, cricket fans <laughs> lad you know it was quite a dumb night and i played football you know and uh, he played for a team called tek and he was going on about, you know, whoever it was at the time, Liverpool, Man United, and he was giving it. And then, and then out of nowhere, he goes, um, uh, yeah, no, huge cricket fan, Gary, huge cricket fan. <laughs> and he goes, David Gower, no one can live with him. Off the front foot, best player in the world, Gary. Right? I was not expecting that. Yeah. Uh, cricket, actually, ironically, was a huge game in Ireland at the turn of the 19th and 20th century. Cricket was, I mean, so popular that they had to to decide whether it was going to be part of the GAA. And uh, Michael Cusack uh, uh, played uh, cricket. 
uh, as he called Brewer, uh, and uh, when he was called uh, Charlie Burgess. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but it, it was sixty-one clubs in Kilkenny alone. So, it, it, in a way, it's not surprising that that Ireland has made quite a resurgence uh, in in the game of cricket. For you, Peter, um, then. Now I know that you were you were very good early on. You were fast bowler. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, that's where you made your your name. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about fast bowling? What, what did you like about it? I suppose it was the fact that I could do it, and um, there was um, yeah, there was something uh, something enjoyable. Uh, there was a power involved, I suppose, when you realised that you could propel the ball quickly, <laughs> and that that had uh, <laughs> that had a sort of a an effect on people um, because uh, as most people listening will know the cricket ball is not soft you know it's capable of of causing pain it's also capable of knocking stumps flying and bales flying and all that and again there was something aesthetically pleasing about that Mm. Um, so uh, I also then I was drawn naturally to um, to cricketers who who were fast bowlers um, when I the watched people on at television. the time, like Dennis Liddy, Jeff Thompson, those types. Even earlier than that, for some reason, I I had a fascination. I don't know where I heard. I think it may have been a book that was given to me. Um, it was called Arlett and Truman on Cricket. And the Arlett was John Arlett, who was a famous uh, commentator and journalist. And the Truman was Fred Truman, who was born um, in the same year as my dad. So I, I never saw him bowl, never saw him play in the flesh. But uh, and I only got to see him on kind of grainy old news clips much later. But somebody gave me uh, because I enjoyed that book. Somebody gave me John Arlott's biography of Fred Truman, and I read about this. I was a Leeds United fan. He was from Yorkshire. That whole War of the Roses thing fascinated me. Um, but also the fact that he was slightly irrever- irreverent um, cricketer. He was. Not quite a punk rock cricketer, but he was definitely, he rubbed people up the wrong way. He was outspoken uh, and he had this broad Yorkshire accent. Uh, I remember also reading a book um, by Michael Parkinson, another Yorkshireman. He's from Barnsley, uh, who got who obviously was more famous as a TV personality. Um, but the, the idea that he had played cricket against Fred Truman made him more interesting in my eyes. So... Um, uh, yeah, it was partly to do with this idea of power, of uh, of uh, being able to strike fear into people, um, and also I, I had some 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 ability um, that made it more enjoyable as well. Um, so that was pretty much it. Well, you certainly did have a lot of ability as well. I mean, there were quite a few people who were quick. I remember, and some who were a lot more dangerous than you were because they kind of slung the ball like a like a, a, a hammer thrower or something like this um <laughs> but but uh, you were also very good so you made your debut for the Irish cricket team 82 yeah I um, so you were only what, 18 it was uh well I learned of my selection I was still 17 and I played just after my 18th birthday um I remember the uh I remember the Rolling Stones were playing in Slane it was the first big gig down in Slane um and i remember at the time when the tickets came out thinking that i wasn't going to go and see the rolling stones because they were past it i didn't realize they were only a third of the way through their career at that stage <laughs> <laughs> but i also remember that the um, i made my debut in, in uh, against wales in the rathmines beautiful summer, summer's day and i remember um 
as we were warming up beforehand. And I was now playing with guys who I'd watched on that grainy old footage of Sion Mills. Um, I was by far the youngest on the team. Most of the guys were in their 30s. They were an aging team at that stage. They were trying to get young kids into the side, I suppose. And uh, that that helped my cause. I, I remember my um, my older brother, Brendan, who we mentioned earlier, turning up. Um, and he'd come directly from Slane. So I didn't really want to see him because I didn't know what sort of state he was in. But um, it was nice to uh, to have family there on the day. But yeah, that was, um, um, that was the summer of 1982. I'd just finished school. Um, I played another game. The second game was over in Scotland, which I barely featured in because I got ill during the game. And I was the, the final game. of What the, happened? I got food poisoning. Uh, um, so I just I, 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 um, I only played a limited part in the game. And but I uh, I was so I was dropped for the final game of the summer, which was against Warwickshire. It was a, a two day match. They were. It was a friendly game, I suppose, an exhibition game almost in those days. Um, and I'd been left out, I would say, mainly to protect me because they had some some serious cricketers in their side. And uh, But then somebody, I think Simon Corlett, uh, the opening bowler, cried off uh, for that game and I was given the call. I did well and um, I, had a good, I had a good game against a team that were probably semi on holiday. But I did well enough to... Uh, I suppose, gained their interest. And they offered me a, a contract um, pretty much a couple of weeks after the game, uh, a two-year contract to go and play in England. So as you, That was with Warwickshire? That was with Warwickshire, which is basically Birmingham, yeah. So, um, so that must have been a massive step up. Now, just the step up to international level, when you were a young kid, obviously had a lot of energy and that kind of thing that, you can sort of get away with possibly a few imperfections. Were were they welcoming to you uh, at that stage when you got into the Irish team? Yeah, well, they they were. Ireland were. They're, they're, I suppose their fast bowlers were all getting old together. Okay. Uh, I had played representative stuff at under 19s in schools, and um, I remember one of my teammates in 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 Old Belvedere saying to me, "You know, when you get." picked on the North Leinster team which was the sort of um, the middle ground or the the way in which you would qualify for an Irish team the interprovincial trophy they told me that once you get onto the North Leinster team they'll pick you for Ireland um, because they, they needed opening bowlers um, and I was perfectly willing to believe that and, and it turned out that it was true because I I could probably got picked before doing anything, you know, before doing anything exceptional with North Leinster. But I, I was extremely confident and I was welcoming um, very fond memories of playing with a guy called Dermot Monteith, who's sadly gone now. But uh, a legend of the of the game in Ireland um, from from Lisburn. And I just remembered how much he backed me uh, he, when we were playing against Wales. He said, you have two balls that are going to get wickets here. It was a three day game. So there was a possibility of a draw, and he wants to beat Wales, uh, who were also amateur cricketers um, at that stage. Um, but he he said that the bouncer, uh, you know, a ball dug in short, kind of basically aimed around the batsman's head, and a leg cutter. These were the w- balls that he wanted me to bowl. They were going to take wickets. Uh, I just had the sense that he had complete belief in me, and that got a good reaction. And we won the game. 
and I did okay. And then he also backed me when we played against Warwickshire. I remember he kept me on for 15 overs straight from the top end in Rathmines. Um, and after the game, I overheard one of the, the older players on the team saying, that's him, he's gone now. They'll pick him up. So they there was a feeling that um, I had done well enough that, that Warwickshire would be impressed. And it, it turned out to be, to be uh, justified, yeah. And one of the world's great batsmen at the time, Alvin Kalacharan, he was quite impressed with you, wasn't he? I, yeah, I didn't, I d- didn't discover this till subsequently, but he was the guy apparently who had recommended me because mm. uh, I, I bowled to him for a bit and, and, and did okay. Um, so, um, yeah, um, he, was, he was some cricketer, uh, you know, West Indian test star. And um, they also had, you know, on, the, on that Warwickshire team at the time, uh, Bob Willis was the captain, was also England captain at the time. Dennis Amos, a former England opening batsman, was there. Um, Once made 188 against India. I remember that was one of the first test matches. Good detail there, Gary. Yes. Good detail. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, as you, you mentioned, the stars aligning. I Yeah, at the time, I thought, this is going as I had thought it might, you know. Okay, so you uh, get over to Warwickshire, um, and you've you know everything in common with a lot of those young uh, soccer players who go over to play for the, the big clubs and so mm-hmm. on. It's a completely different kettle of fish, it's a professional game. So what what was that? That must have been a baptism of fire for Um, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was a. An interesting experience, but I suppose I didn't think it was interesting at the time. I thought it was... Uh, so what was it like when you got arrived there? Well, do you know, I mean, I kind I suppose you can make the mistake of thinking that you've made it because you've arrived. And uh, what I remember is small, lots of small details. Things that, for example, that the one of the things that happened at the start of every cricket season was that there was a meeting of the Professional Cricketers Association. So cricketers from all over the country, county cricketers, uh, turned up in 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 Birmingham at Edgbaston, where the the county ground where where we were based, as it happened for their annual general general meeting. So I was, I was in the same room as all these cricketers that I I knew by by name and knew them to see and all that, and I I'm now one of them. Um, what happens then is. Uh, it rained for most of April, so we trained uh, for most of that month. Eventually, we got to start playing second-team cricket. The, the shape of the week was that you would play a game in the second-team championship. I was only 18, so I wasn't expecting to go straight into the first team. So you'd play a three-day game Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You would play a Saturday game in the Birmingham League where the, the, the Warwickshire seconds would play against your... Smethics and your M and B's and your uh, Old Hills, a good a good standard of, of club cricket with a few pros playing, and then you might also play uh, an under twenty fives game on a Monday or a Tuesday, a forty over game, that sort of thing. So there was a lot of cricket t- to be played, and um, a lot of driving around England, uh, a lot of time spent in dressing rooms uh, with the same bunch of people. Um, I got on pretty much okay with those people uh well i just i didn't it didn't go as well as i was hoping it would go i you know i didn't kind of well i should say that the standard of cricket was standard of county cricket back then is a lot stronger than it is now and the standard of second team cricket is stronger than it is now and uh 
I found it, you know, challenging. Uh, having been a big fish all the way up, um, I wasn't, I got the impression that, yeah, I could compete uh, at this level um, and I was quickish at this level, but I wasn't going to get by purely on pace alone. Uh, I probably made the mistake of trying too hard to bowl too fast uh, and my performance probably suffered because of that. I also then had a few problems with uh, no balls and wides and, and it was I was probably trying too hard. And then psychologically, you are, you're dealing with the fact that you're playing with these guys but also against them. So that was something I wasn't used to at all. The, the atmosphere in the second team dressing room was competitive and not necessarily in a positive way. There was, it was, it could be, could be a bit of fun. There could be a, a bit of bitching. Um, it was definitely a lot different from what you would get now in terms of there was no positive psychology. The guys who ran the team, the, the coaches were former pros themselves and the philosophy seemed to be, this is a tough game. And we're just waiting to see whether you're tough enough to make it. And people would often, you know, would bitch about the fact that he, oh, he's he likes him because he's a local boy, he's a Brummie or he's a Coventry lad, and he doesn't like me. It was just a suspicious and not not a particularly encouraging uh, atmosphere. And it, it was hardened professional cricket, and you either sank. Or swam. Yeah. yeah. Was there any sense of you being Irish? Did you get any of that sort of um, territory? Because there weren't any Irish people really in the game at that point in England, were there? Um, there was one other guy, uh, Mark Cohn, was playing at that stage. He was playing down in in Glamorgan, and I remember playing against him down in, in Sophia Gardens in Cardiff, and I actually had the impression that he was very much on his own in that dressing room that he hadn't been welcomed but i i can't really speak for him that was just my impression mm. i got on, i had friends in in you know the guys that i'm still in contact with um in the in the warwickshire dressing room um but they did you know they they called me paddy and i i regret now you know not i eventually accepted i kind of accepted it in the end and i remember being annoyed at myself but because I said initially, I said, "Is that the best you can do?" You know, because you're not be a bit more original. I'm Irish. You're going to call me Paddy, um, but I t you want to be liked. Uh, you want to fit in, um, but I wasn't really fitting in because I was, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a term of abuse or anything like that. But as somebody said to me subsequently, "How did it make you feel? Did it make you feel good about yourself?" No, it didn't. So it was abbreviated to Pad which was kind of, I said, oh, that's probably a term of affection then. But I I felt, uh, I got on okay with my teammates. I didn't feel like I was backed or really rated by the two guys who were coaching the team or captaining the team. Yeah, I was going to ask you, mm -hmm. when you have problems in that situation and you're not quite, you know, breaking through and, and possibly getting into the groove of your own talent, who do you go to? I mean, at that stage. Uh, well, yeah, I'd know I'd nobody who had kind of gone before me in terms of uh, like an, uh, that I knew that I could talk to about as a as a kind of an outsider coming into the county game and what should I do in this situation? I was kind of in the dark a bit. There were guys who were uh, that I spoke to 
um, and asked their advice, uh, who said to me, typically they would say, listen, you're good enough to be here, to have got here, do what you did to get to this point. Uh, there was there was very little technical coaching. Um, I wouldn't say there was much psychological coaching. I, I remember... Very little technical coaching, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I did... <laughs> I did become aware of the fact that there was a f- that I had a technical flaw in my bowling action, which uh, when I was feeling confident and when things were going well, I wasn't aware of. But then when things weren't going well, I was very aware of. And I didn't have sort of psychological sport because like sports psychology wasn't those two words didn't go together in 1983. Um, and what I've what I learned um, at the time, although no, sorry, it probably took me a bit longer to figure out, was that you know it takes an incredible amount of mental fortitude and self-belief to make it as a professional sportsman. And I think, I, well, I, I remember one day being driven to the game by one of the, the second team coach, uh, a fellow called Alan Oakman, who had played for England and had actually played with Robin at Sussex, um, and I remember he said, uh, I'll give you a lift um, to the game. And we got chatting on the way. And he said, at one stage, he said to me, you're probably too nice a bloke to make it as a professional fast bowler, aren't you? And looking back, I figured that he was, they were setting me up to, to give me the sack. You know, he was uh, kind of pointing me in that direction or preparing me for, for the worst, as it were. But, you know, some people would say it's, possible to be a nice person and to be a successful professional sports person but it helps if you're if you're not looking for approbation or approval if you have complete self-reliance mm. uh it definitely helps um so i mean i it's funny i a i cold rem- killer vibe somewhere in the mix yeah that you you know i I was I was used to I had come from a position where or for a, from a place where um, I had people who had who had complete belief in me and wanted me to do well and I didn't feel like I remember the my best game for the Warwickshire seconds was against uh, Lancashire in in Leamington Spa we you know we didn't always play at Edgbaston we played in a lot of grounds around the Black Country around you know around Birmingham. And I had a I had a good day. I uh, I got five wickets against uh, a, a, a strong Lancashire seconds team. And the first thing that the captain said to me afterwards, he we had a little one on one. Well, after our openers had gone out to bat, and he said um, he said, "Well, bow, Paddy." He said, "But the bloody no balls, you know." And it was he had noticed from the sideline that I'd been bowling no balls and that I wasn't being called by the umpire. So he focused very briefly on the positive and then put all the emphasis well, on the negative. Why did the umpire call him? The umpire obviously wasn't doing his job very well, or maybe he was... In those days, was it did, did the hold of the front foot have to be, or was it at any part? Yeah, it was the same same no-ball laws now. I mean, I would have been close, and but it was almost as if he was watching from the sideline and thinking, I don't want to recommend this guy for a con- contract renewal, I, and he's doing well here. And I need to find a reason to criticise him. Were Certainly, there as many nobles as he claimed there were? 
oh, I don't know because I was bowling at the time. I, you know, I was aware of the fact that I was close to the front line, but I was in a rhythm. I was enjoying it. I was feeling good. And my teammates were all completely behind me. And uh, I had that feeling again that you, that confidence surging through you. Also had the feeling the batsmen didn't like this. They were, I was on top of them psychologically. So when I heard this afterwards, it just, it was such a, a blow to my confidence. Like that, even if he had seen this and even if, he had a point that wasn't the time to bring it up it was just like a uh, it had a puncturing effect on me you know um, but it sounded sounds to me in my limited uh, understanding of the sports world but just generally in the entertainment world when people say things like that to you it, it's not for the good of your health it's not for you know advice it's kind of coming from another place mm. which is about <laughs> bringing you down bringing you down for a reason. and and you can you can use it to motivate yourself I'll, you know i'll prove these people wrong but um if you have those doubts niggling away at you if you don't feel that that support it, it's quite debilitating um it's just i've you know in my in my current job as a as a sports journalist dealing with with rugby players i do see that you know that i do see that the guys who have self-belief and um, you know, really do believe in themselves. Tend to be the guys who make it, but I do, I do think that there is a better psychological framework or is it psychological help available for young sportsmen now. Thankfully, uh, so Peter, you were uh, in the harsh, tough world of professional uh, sport, uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a tough one. Um, but you also got some interesting insights into how some professional people think in a slightly more, uh, well, bizarrely positive way, I suppose. Yeah, I, I know what you're angling towards here, Gary, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mentioned earlier on that I had a, a fascination with Yorkshire cricket from when I was young. So, um, you know, the, the things that I remember most fondly about my time in England really were those sort of cultural things, those differences, those little... Um, traditions if you like the first time I played at Edgbaston which is a, a classic test ground and it's a it's a famous cricket uh, arena um, was against Yorkshire seconds um, I'm only I'm only in in the UK for a couple of months at this stage or maybe five weeks or something like that and um, Yorkshire are probably the most traditional of the counties they were in those days certainly I remember um, when we went in for a uh, for a lunch break during that three-day game that they the players all came in wearing their blazers in for lunch their Yorkshire blazers and if um, there were a couple of them who were capped players in other words they were I suppose they'd been acknowledged by the county as uh, as first team players they would have had a, a white rose on their uh, on their blazer uh, whereas uh, second team caps would have a, a white rose bud uh, I just remember those little details, but um, they were a strong team. Um, they had a couple of guys on that team, Martin Moxon, Paul Jarvis, who went on to play test cricket for England. Uh, and they ran through us. Uh, we batted first, and um, it was by the first afternoon I was suddenly going into, into bat, and I was wearing my, uh, my brand-new helmet. I hadn't worn a helmet up until a couple of weeks before that, and their fast bowlers were still on. One of them was Paul Jarvis. The other guy was a guy called Alan Ramage, who... Uh, was about six foot four, moustache, um, long hair, kind of looked like a Visigoth. And uh, there was also one guy on their team who I'd played against uh, previously in under-19 cricket who'd given me a nod in the dressing room. 
And I discovered pretty quickly that he had informed Ram, as he were known, as he was known, uh, Alan Ramage. He, he had informed him about the fact that there was an Irish fella playing because um, the first ball I faced from from Ramage whizzed past my nose, and uh, he followed through close enough for him to be able to kind of whisper aggressively, "Hook it, you Irish! See you next Tuesday." <laughs> and uh, I had never been verbally abused as it were on a cricket pitch before gentleman's game and all that stuff but now I realise I'm playing harsh professional game I'm looking around to see why this has happened and I, I turn around there's Ashley at short leg the guy that I knew and he just looked straight through me you know he didn't acknowledge me I was saying what's what's his problem and he just didn't respond so the next ball uh, he tries to he pitches it up, tries to bowl a Yorker to uh, to knock over my stumps, and I uh, I jam the bat down on it, and uh, it races past him. Fortunately for three, I think, or maybe four. But as I ran past uh, the bowler, I told him to go and fetch that you English bastard or something along <laughs> those lines. <laughs> Great, uh, and. Uh, that was pretty much the end of it, as far as I was concerned. I was I told the fellas back in the dressing room that I'd been getting a bit of jip about being Irish, and they told me not to, you know, to expect a bit of that. At the end of the day's play, I'm up in the the extra cover bar where we would go for a, a drink uh, after stumps, and the said bowler came up to me in his in his Yorkshire blazer uh, and said, uh, "What are you having, you Irish bastard?" Uh, <laughs> And so I had to figure it out that, okay, so what happens on the pitch is one thing. What happens off the pitch is entirely different. This guy's a, a fellow sportsman, a fellow fast bowler. He picked me out and he, he wanted to come over and buy me a drink. And I, I realized that, okay, things are done slightly differently over here, but it was a, it was a nice touch. And uh, I, I'll, I, won't, I won't forget it, actually. It was, uh, it was my introduction to professional sport, really. Yeah. Mm. I believe you also met... Ian Botham in Lords and enjoyed a drink with him, isn't this correct? Uh, yeah, well, he um, he was close friends with uh, with Bob Willis. I, I, this is going to sound like name dropping and all that, but no, I, go ahead, I, drop I, as I, many names. I, I found that the the nicest kind of established players that I came across were the fellows who'd who'd been at the top and didn't have anything to prove. Um, the people who might be a little bit cold towards you or uh, disparaging were probably still on the way up or maybe saw you as a threat, whatever. So especially if ever I was doing 12th man for the first team, I would. you might bump into people like um, Alan Knott was a really nice fellow here. I remember him telling me that his, his mother was from Cavan. Richard Hadley uh, needed help with a, a crossword clue, I remember. He was really friendly. Chris Old, who played a bit of cricket with at Warwickshire, he was um, yeah, he was probably too friendly. Some people would say he'd kind of take you down the pub. Um, he was he was great company altogether. Uh, and um, the captain Bob Willis was a big music lover. I remember talking to him. Um, big Bob Dylan fan, wasn't he? He was a Dylan fan, but also a Van Morrison fan. Uh, and I remember talking to him a bit about about Van. But uh, he was good mates with Elton John, as was was Ian Botham and uh so they they would be uh often around the at the captain's house the captain was Bob Willis he was just known as the captain and uh I suppose I was a, a bit of a uh, peculiarity um being Irish and uh Botham turned out that he'd been he'd been over here quite a bit shooting fishing going to Lansdowne Road to watch 
Ireland England games that sort of thing so I just found him very very friendly uh, as I say he, I was probably a bit of a curiosity so yeah I remember him being friendly so when you didn't get your contract renewed uh, was that something you're expecting and how much of a crushing blow was it for you and um, how did you feel coming home what happened was a a friend one of the one of my teammates uh, on the second team said to me quite early in the second season I don't think they're going to renew your contract why don't you treat it as a summer job why don't you apply to go to college like you probably would have done if you hadn't come over here why don't you just enjoy it you're getting paid to play cricket for the summer um and I took him at his word I relaxed I started bowling much better actually um but then I got injured and I was injured for about six weeks uh so I I knew I wasn't so it wasn't a surprise um when I was told that my contract wasn't being renewed and I had processed it I thought um I came back I uh came back to Dublin I went to to university and um I my cricket went further downhill um to the extent that at one stage I remember I'd lost all confidence I'd been dropped from the Ireland team I was playing for Old Belvedere and then I was told they were going to pick me on the seconds as well as the first that I could work on my to try and get my kind of some form back uh the second summer I was back I I'd lost my love of the game I went to New York for the summer got a job washing dishes had a great time best thing I did just got away from cricket but it stays in you you know you know yourself I mean it's just one of those sports that's it that if it's in you it's in you and I remember going for a run one day down the East River Park and uh, I remember telling the story to Jerry Siggins when he was he did an interview with me years later and uh, there were I mean there were drug dealers I remember uh, doing some business as I was running along uh, and it, anyway there I am running along the East River Park and uh, I found myself just kind of going into my delivery stride naturally when I was out running I, I felt like you know going in and doing a bowling action it just it's there it's in you um so I also uh, I kind of reinvented myself a little bit in club cricket as a batsman I started batting a bit um and gradually I kind of got a, got my love for the game back and uh, played a few more games for Ireland in 1990 did you play the game yeah, 1990-91, I, uh, I got a few more games. I got on a tour to Zimbabwe. Um, uh, but I suppose uh, I was still only in my late 20s. I was 27, maybe, something like that at that point. And I never had an opportunity there to probably to kick on a little bit. But I got injuries probably because I didn't... Again, I wasn't as professional as I, as I should have been in terms of... Um, strength and fitness training and things like that uh and i also started getting into journalism around that time and i was interested in that so my my heart probably wasn't quite in it as much as it was when i was younger and probably my self-belief wasn't the same as it was before i went to uh, to warwickshire so i continued playing club cricket i still watch a lot of cricket my kids have played cricket um i get a lot of enjoyment out of it and i have I have some happy memories of that time in England uh, and uh, still have some friendships from it as well. Uh, so 
it didn't it didn't work out as I as I planned it to, to work out as I expected it to work out and it took me quite a long time to process that uh, because I didn't get any any help I didn't talk to any as I said earlier there was no sports psychology in those days it took me a long time to recover from it in terms of my self-esteem as a cricketer and all that sort of thing it did give me some insights though into into sport and professional sport which I think have been helpful both professionally and also in talking to my own kids who are good cricketers uh, and who are ambitious about sport. Um, well, you have a daughter who, who retired from Irish women's cricket at the age of 18, having played, played for five years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, Lucy Lucy played uh, at a world... She got capped at 13 and played at a, a T20 World Cup at 14 in, in, um, in Bangladesh. So... Uh, <laughs> I clearly hadn't learnt any of the lessons, you know, because some people said I probably got capped too young. Um, it led that it started that chain effect of going to Warwickshire, and maybe if things had a little bit slower, I might have reached my potential. Who knows? But um, Lucy got a lot of enjoyment out of cricket, um, but she finished. She finished up for other reasons. She wanted to focus on her career, and she's doing that. And that brings us to the end of part one with Peter O'Reilly. But we will be back in part two, talking to Peter about his life as a rugby journalist. On will phone poke new wet, on will knappy no fum nis orjo wet, nis eskalehusaj, faker no phone in gwin on show, egg daro. An von klishte is Dani gidi gohan la hai glina agus taskina. Ta rod egen gogachtina. Ta nismo olis egg daro dot com.